My preach today, the title is Life Laid Down. You know, if you were on our call, was it this week or the week before? I can't remember now for our vision night. It was this week. I don't know which day of the week it is at the moment. But yeah, we, one of the things that we said was that we just really sense that, you know, post-COVID, God's been doing something with us. That last year was really a year just of um, consolidation, a year of just healing, really, from the, the things that, are, that have happened during that time, the disconnection and, you know, people's real hurts. And there's also just a real sense that this year is a year of preparation, a year of readying for all that God has for us as hope. His call on us hasn't changed. You know, Andy and Teresa, it's almost 20 years since Hope Church began. Um, and God's call hasn't changed. We're here to change the world. But there's a real sense that God wanted us just to come back to that kind of simplicity of the gospel. Um, you know, we can have lots of programs, we can have wonderful things like our one-to-one mentoring and all kinds of things like that, but actually it comes down to our heart response to God. And so that's really what I want to talk to you about this morning. Okay, so what is this faith that we, we follow, this, uh, you know, th- this life that we live? I want to kind of boil it down to three things. Um, and the first of those is actually, it's the leaving behind of an old life. There's a moment when we call it conversion, we repent, we turn around and we decide to follow God, or God calls us, we maybe don't have so much of a say in it really as we think perhaps we do. <laughs> but there's this no going back encounter with him. And I just want to uh, kind of highlight a couple of stories in the Bible where there's just this kind of sense of cutting the ties and going back. So Elijah was a prophet in uh, Israel, and he um, called Elisha. And he went down to where Elisha was. He was in the field. He was plowing with his auction. He put his cloak around uh, his shoulders and said, follow me. And Elisha wanted to go back and say goodbye to his parents. But what he did was pretty radical. It says, so Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen, he slaughtered them, he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Now that's a lot of meat. A couple of big oxen, big fire, pretty meaty barbecue, I think. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. And that's echoed in the New Testament as well. So when Jesus called the disciples, he was down by the Sea of Galilee, he'd been in the desert, he'd been preaching, and he he says as he was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon and Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting nets into the lake lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said. I'll send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. And they were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. In both of these cases, this is a pretty radical step. 
You know, Elisha, he's burnt his oxen. They were really his livelihood. They were what would provide him with food. And he followed Elijah. And the disciples as well, they left their nets, they left their boats and followed Jesus. And for us, as we respond to him, that, there needs to be that cutting off from the old life. We need to be sure that we've severed ties with our old life. The things, I think Paul said, that the thing, leave behind the things that ensnare you. They're the things that drag us down. They're the things that drag us back into um, ungod- ungodly ways. May you earn helpful habits, uh, behaviors, thinking. So we've been called out of darkness into this wonderful light. It says you're a royal people, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And in 1 Corinthians 6, it tells us you're not your own. You were bought with a price. So there's been this calling on our lives. We've been called from darkness into light. We've been bought with a price. So we need to allow the, God of, the, the light of God to shine into every recess of our heart. So that's the first thing. We're leaving behind an old life. The second thing is that actually I guess it's like when you come into any organization, you know, you kind of pick up the culture and you sort of orientate yourself in the direction of travel, I guess. And it's the same in the church. Actually, we are here with a purpose and we're living for a cause. So in Matthew 28, um, and there's similar verses in Mark 16 as well, um, it's what we call the Great Commission. It's, it's what the church is here for. And it says this, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you even to the very end of the age. So that's really our purpose. We're here to bring the kingdom of God on earth. We're God's ambassadors, we're described, and we bring the culture of heaven into dark places. This is our purpose. There's good works that he has predestined for us to walk into. And this sometimes means sacrifice. It will put us in difficult situations but it's worth it. Paul said, what's more, I consider, consider everything a loss because of the all-surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them all garbage that I may gain Christ. You know, the, the Christian life, you know, we have wonderful moments of intimacy with the Father, but actually, it's something which consumes all of us every last bit of our being, and we'll see a bit more about that in just a couple of minutes. And, you know, Paul was, when he wrote those words, he was in Rome, he was in chains, he was probably uh, not far from being put to death for the gospel. 
but he considered it all worth it. You know, he said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And you know, there have been lots of contemporary examples of men and women who've just been prepared to give everything for the gospel of Christ. You might know the story of Jim Elliot, who was a, a young missionary in the 1950s. Um, he was you know, fresh out of college. He went to Ecuador to work among sort of the indigenous tribes there. And they were you know, working and contacting tribes who really never had any contact with Western men. And ultimately, he and four of his colleagues were actually killed by these tribes in the, in the jungle. And his wife actually carried on the work, and ultimately those tribes were reached for Jesus, which was incredible. And in his journals, he wrote, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I guess that kind of echoes the words of Jesus who talks about, you know, he would uh, find his life, will lose it, but he, he will lose his life or lay his life down. He will find it. So the Christian life, you know, it's, it's not simple. It's not a, an easy ride necessarily. Um, it requires us to be willing to say yes to what the Father is speaking to us. You know, Lydia and I have also seen this kind of willingness, willingness to lay down uh, people's lives. We work with an organization called Josiah Venture who work into Eastern Europe. And we have friends who are currently missionaries in Ukraine. And these are young people with families who are living in a war zone to bring the gospel of Jesus. They've caught something in their hearts of just the power of this message. They're living you know, with daily air, air raid sirens, uh, with their kids in schools who are going to hide down in, you know, under tables and in, in sort of sheltered corridors in the middle of the school when they happen. Um, but they're prepared to lay down everything for their life, for the life of, of, of Christ that they've, uh, they've seen and caught in their hearts. You know, in places like Iran and China, the church is growing at a phenomenal rate because people have had a radical encounter with God. It's very easy for us, I think. We, you know, life is pretty you know, serene in, in the West, really. You know, there's kind of war, but it's distant. There are financial crises. But actually, we're pretty well-off and comfortable. And it's very easy, I think, just to sometimes lose that radical edge that, uh, you know, that the, these people have seen. It doesn't have to look, actually look like going to a dangerous place in the world. Sometimes it's actually just stepping beyond our comfort zone, stepping into something that God's calling us to, maybe sharing the gospel with a, a friend or a, a neighbor or a colleague. Um, but it's being sensitive to Jesus. I think there have been times in our lives when you know, we've done things that actually have taken us out of our comfort zone. About five or six years ago, I was made redundant, or I was given the offer of redundancy at work, and we had a prophetic word, and it was clear that God was saying this was something to, to step out in. And you know, in your mid-50s, stepping out of you know, well-paid employment into... Who knows what, really? Um, but it was just that sense that this was what God had spoken, and we, we took that step. 
and I was paid off well and it was great and I had time. But actually, there came a time when the money was starting to run out and thinking, okay, what's going to happen here? And it's moments like that, I guess, that actually your, your, your faith in you know, taking these steps is tested. And I remember just sitting in worship one morning um, and I was singing that song, it may, look, what's it? it may look like you're surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And I just had this absolute moment of, oh God, you've got this. You know, you step out, you do something, and you think, oh, what's going to happen here? But God has got it. And I just want to encourage you, actually, if God's speaking to you, don't be afraid to step out. So, yes, so we separate from our old lives. We're living for a cause. And then... Yeah, we're called to live the gospel out. So I want to finish off really just by talking a little about, a bit about what that looks like. So Jesus summed it up really simply. The gospel is not complicated. So in Mark 12, it says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is most important? And Jesus answered, it's this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than these. Well said, the teacher. Well, well said, teacher, the man replied. You're right in saying that God is one. There's no other but him. To love him with all your heart and all your understanding, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. So the first thing there, I guess, to notice is that actually our attitude to God and to our fellow men is actually more important than sort of any religious duty. We don't need to do the stuff to please God. He's already pleased with us. But we do it to honor him and to honor one another. So I just want to quickly explore these two facets. So our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. Because actually both of those actually are what give glory to him. And what will touch others around about us. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul with all your mind and all your strength. What does that look like? Well, it touches every bit of our being. It touches our emotions, our affections. It touches our thoughts, our physical strength, our mental strength, our determination. And it always strikes me that actually uh, in Revelation, a little bit after the bit that George uh, read a moment ago, um, there are the letters to the churches. And actually, you know, a lot of the churches, there were things that weren't great, but God had really positive things to say. But it always strikes me that the Laodiceans, he said, I know your deeds, but that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. But because you are lukewarm, I would rather spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, I don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, 
pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. It's here again, that thing of comfort. They were a a church um, who thought they had it all. Um, And so they lived in self-satisfaction and indifference to God. Again, it's that thing, I guess, of hanging on to the worldly stuff, not cutting off um, that love of the world. (laughs) But we've met Jesus. There's nothing that can ever be more important than him. And as we prioritize him and his calling on our lives, he gives us the strength, the determination, the resilience to actually push through and do all that he has for us. As Christians, we're called to choose um, his voice first and foremost. Not to listen to the world's philosophies. You know, we've got this postmodern thing going on at the minute and you know, there's, there's no truth and yeah, we'll live to um, you know, satisfy, satisfy our own needs. But actually that is not the gospel. We're called, called to put his voice first and fo- foremost. <laughs> now Again, in the Old Testament, when the Israelites gave to God, they gave out of their first fruits, an act of faith, if you like. A fact of faith that the rest of the harvest was coming, going to come in. I mean, they gave you know, their corn, they gave their herbs, they gave um, from their animals, all kinds of stuff. And it was an act of faith that actually God was going to preserve the harvest. And even if he didn't, then that he would provide for them. And I kind of, in, in my heart, I, I always kind of feel that, you know, you had an Old Testament standard, but actually God calls us to a higher standard. Um, we're no longer under obligation, but we do it out of love. So Paul talks about being a bondservant of Christ. And in the Roman culture, the bondservant was a servant who'd kind of reached the end of his time as a servant and was being released by the master. And a bondservant would choose to actually remain and serve that master. And they were marked with a, you know, a piercing on the ear. They stand them against the door and bang a thing through the, in, through the ear to mark them. Ooh. <laughs> and it's the same for us. We, we've been set free by Jesus. He has set us free from everything that enslaved us but we choose to be his bond servants. As we sang this morning, his Lord. He is our Lord and master. And it's one of those beautiful tensions. We have this close, intimate, freeing relationship with him. But we're also his willing bond servants. And it needs, as I say, it's always been my choice to give to him out of my first fruits. Whether it be our money, whether it's my energy, whether it's my time. And you know, I've always found that God is no man's debtor. (laughs) He is incredible. The way that he just restores, gives back more than you could ever uh, imagine. So ultimately this thing, this relationship with God is one of his pursuit of us. And our response to him is to pursue him as well. 
So that's the first half of that. The other bit was our relationship with one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. First of all, this requires us to actually understand who we are and to have a good understanding of ourselves and who God has made us to be. And this releases us to go and give the best to others. Now, in the scripture, there's loads and loads of pointers as to how we live together as a church family. And if you're of a certain age, you'll have heard lots of stories about what we call one anothering. Um, There are lots of verses in the New Testament dotted everywhere. Talks about love one another. Lots and lots and lots of times. But Romans 12, it tells us to be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Uh, Think the best, don't assume the worst, I guess. Accept one another. That kind of says, you know, differences and all. We're very different people. We have very different likes and dislikes. We have very different characters. And some things suit us well and others don't. But actually, we accept one another. Encourage one another. Serve one another. Bear with one another and forgive one another. You know, we will get upset living in a church family. We're humans. We rub each other up the wrong way sometimes. But actually, uh, we need to bear with one another, forgive one another. Uh, Let the message, message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Let us consider how we, may we, how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. Lots and lots of ways. And if you go, you, can, you, know, you can go online and you can search these things. See what other ones you can find. Um, but it's a template for us how to live together. You know, we're a community that are called to radically and sacrificially love one another. And when we do that, we'll be strong, we'll be healthy, each one will be cared for and looked after, and we'll be an attractive community to the unbeliever as well. The weak will be strengthened, the poor will be blessed, the timid will be emboldened, and God will be glorified. And lastly, we're called, actually, to love the world. We're the aroma of Christ to those who are being saved. So it extends beyond our circle of friends. You know, Jesus challenged the religious people um, about, you know, who is your neighbor? And he told the story of the Good Samaritan, which I'm sure you all know. So we are neighbors to those who are in need in the world. And we can extend the love and the power of God to everyone that we meet. Let's be asking the Holy Spirit to prompt us to share the good news, pray for the sick, care for the weak, and to be healing to their wounds. So I'm very aware my time is running out, and I was going to do a couple of things which we maybe quite, won't quite get to. But yeah, we've got this incredible calling. We leave behind our past. We dedicate ourselves to the calling of Jesus on our lives. And we serve one another We serve God and we serve those in the world. And I kind of feel like I'm preaching to the converted here. You know, we're an incredible family. But I really felt that God wanted us to hear this this morning. 
And I actually had a couple of questions that I was going to spend some time just um, for us just to kind of ponder on. But I, what I'm going to do is I'll get those put up on the um, Hope Family page. I'm just going to tell you what they were. First of all, both things to ask Jesus. The first thing is, is there anything that I haven't left behind from my past? And to ask Jesus to take that. To, I saw him with like a pair of scissors cutting things off from people. And the second thing is, question was, is there any part of my life where I haven't made you Lord? And again, just to spend time talking to Jesus and he will help you to surrender that to him.